When the little lady says you're recording in progress, that always just makes me nervous. CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. Hi, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, June the 9th. It is raining cats and dogs outside, um, so if I lose power in here, um, you won't know about it because I'll figure out some other way. Um, we <laughs> we have a, 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 a I mean, it, look, if you've if you looked at the uh, the content item or, or the um, the show notes and on your podcast app of choice, you know, you know what's about to go down. We we have one of the greatest players in Virginia history um, scheduled to talk on the podcast. Now, in my defense, uh, well, actually, let me let me let me introduce everybody before we get started. Um, for tonight, at least, up in Fisherville, David Spence is on the show. What's going on, my dude? Not much, Brad. Excited to talk to our guest, uh, who is <laughs> on the board at who is on Twitter. Yeah, uh, Cavs Corner also under Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Now, couple couple housekeeping things. One, um, this is one of the best days of Dave's life. Okay, let's just throw that out there. Um, Dave yeah, yeah. is an unabashed Outside of marriage and the birth of my children. Her, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. unabashed <laughs> Herman Moore, absolute super fan. Okay, so he's yeah. he's he's on cloud nine. I want to I want to make this very clear though. I did not. I, listen, if I had realized that Virginia was going to have the Virginia baseball team was going to have the sort of um, regional and Columbia experience that they just had, I would not have lined up Herman Moore to talk to us today. Um, but this is just the way schedules work sometimes. And unfortunately, that's just sort of the way it is. Um, but Damon has been killing on the baseball front. We've got tons of coverage at the site, so you can give us a look there. Um but we are going to talk to arguably one of, um, I mean, what is he? He's got to be like top, what, two or three players in, in, in school history. Virginia history. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, I mean, if you take college, top five for sure, as far as college, ex, you know, college performance. Oh, and then for sure. he only had three years at Virginia. So, the, um, you know, because he redshirted and then he left early. Um, but if you, if you couple his NFL, like he's arguably the most successful NFL player. I mean, think about like this. My, my dude caught, listen, he caught 670 passes, all right, for 9,174 yards, 62 touchdowns across his 11 years in the league, right? Um, he he had an average yard uh, per game of like 62, right? Yeah. Like, which, you know, okay, fine. He had, 13, he had a 13.7 yard per uh, reception. He has a three-time uh, all-pro, uh, made the Pro Bowl three times. I mean, dude. I mean that's yeah that's a pretty solid yeah, yeah, career. Yeah. You know his I mean? 1995 season is ridiculous. Like yeah. I mean his whole career was ridiculous. But caught in 123 catches. I mean, that's crazy. And there's one thing you guys should keep in mind. He had a running back, and yeah. we'll talk to him about that. But we had yeah. he had a running back in the backfield that was pretty good. So the fact that they threw enough balls where he could catch 123 
So that probably means he had 124 balls thrown at him all year because every other ball was going to be handed off to Barry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a nutty. 123 is still like within. It's still one of the best single seasons of all time, despite the number of throws per, you know, yep. the throw Absolutely. game in, <laughs> improvement. Ugh, the throw game. Um, the other thing I want to mention before we before we get to the interview um, is that Herman is obviously on this year's ballot for the Hall of Fame. I want to let you guys know I I, I did not do this. I, I did not reach out to Herman specifically because of that. That this this thing ha- I reached out to him that morning, and then this thing happened that evening. So you know if you believe in signs, there you go. Um, but yeah, let's let's get into our interview with the one and the only Herman Moore. We are joined today by. I mean, listen, it 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 doesn't get much better when you when you talk about Virginia football than this guy right here. Now, I realize that not too long ago I had Chris Long on this show, and in the pantheon of UVA football, um, I don't know if you could have a better one-two punch than Chris Long and Herman Moore. And um, I got to say, this is a, a proud day for me, and 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 certainly I know for for Dave as well. Herman Moore, the great, the 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 legend that he is. Welcome to the podcast, sir. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really glad to have you. Obviously, I mean, this is a uh, um, you know for UVA fans, um, you know that 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 conversation about who's the greatest player in school history and stuff is, is always a fun one. I I have been to many a tailgate where that conversation is, has happened, and I don't know too many times where you know when folks really get into the thick of it that it, it doesn't end up being you. Um, you know, when you look at sort of the stats and and everything, you put them all together. Uh, it's tough to it's a tough argument to make. But Herman, I'm curious, man, when you started out playing football, if somebody had come to you and said someday in the year 2021, they're going to put you on the Hall of Fame ballot, the College Football Hall of Fame ballot, would you have laughed? Would you have just stared at them? What would have been your reaction when you started playing this game if you had known, you know, if you had been told the heights that it would take you to? Well, I would have definitely laughed at it, being that I was always wondering uh, about my next pair of pants or my clothes or my shoes I hear that. <laughs> that I'd be able to afford, let alone going to a school like the University of Virginia and then not only going there, but excelling not only as a student, but also as an athlete. And then finally ending up at the apex of my my sport, which is the NFL, and then to excel at that level as well. I mean, I would have I never would have envisioned that. Uh, we all aspire to try and come up with ways in which we see ourselves doing great things or good things or, or having a happy life. But to know that you, you've gone as a person, individual, gone through a journey, and then ultimately it culminated with you being recognized at the the level of Hall of Fame means a lot. And I don't take it lightly. And I it, it, the first thing that comes to mind, even when you mention that, is to start to think about all of the players and the coaches and the people the mentors and influencers along the way that helped me in my journey, uh, because without them, it's hard to make it to that spot. And a lot of times we are in a uh, me, me, me type world. Uh, we want to talk about all the things that we do as individuals. Um, but you, you, you sell yourself short if you don't mention or acknowledge the people and the opportunities that were given to you and then also recognizing the fact you made really good decisions along the way. Yeah. When you, when you started playing this game, um, it was obviously a a little bit different. And in some ways I feel like guys like you have revolutionized it over the years, right? Super athletic, talented dudes who took the game literally right into a, into a, a kind of a stratosphere 
you know, in terms of the passing game and, and, and where you can put the ball. I, I'm a kid of the 80s, right? And I became accustomed to Virginia football by watching you, right? And frankly, I thought all I thought all receivers were supposed to look like that, right? I thought that's what it was supposed to look like. You throw that thing up there and that dude goes and gets it. And that's just not always the way it was. But when you first started playing it, um, did what, what was your, I don't know, did you did you ever have an, an an idea that it could take you not necessarily just in terms of success, but in terms of the actual X's and O's? Like, did you think you'd end up being a receiver? Because I think early on in your career you were a DB, right? Like way back in the day. Yeah. Um, that's that's correct. So how did how did you kind of make that transition over to the offensive side? And when did you when did you have that? Did you have a moment where you thought, okay, you know what, I'm I'm actually going to be really really good at this. I think it was the evolution of me as a person and just taking and following this, this whole process that was playing out. You know, I wasn't a very tall player uh, in junior high school. I, I kind of hit a growth spurt my 10th and 11th grade year in high school. And that's when I actually crossed the six foot threshold and became, I, I grew like five, six inches in over like a summer. I mean, it was something crazy. I couldn't wear any of my clothes. <laughs> and I was more into basketball than I was football. Right. I was playing uh, in the 10th grade for JV. I was a safety and a cornerback and also did a little bit of uh, special teams and then eventually became a kicker. And uh, for the Western District at GW Danville, ended up being all-conference, all, um, uh, all-team for, for that. And then I caught on as a tight end, as a split end. And back then, we were lined up very close to the tight end, I mean, to the uh, tackle and uh, 24 catches, I think, was the most I had in any se- single season. Um, got recognized by a scout, Tom Sherman, from the University of Virginia. Went on there, and then they recognized that uh, my basketball ability as a jumper and being able to dunk and block shots and then being a seven-plus-foot high jumper, they started to develop a plan around me. And I, I really credit them to the fact of taking me and seeing the raw talent and then working me to to start to refine those tools and to mentally prepare me to take on that position that wasn't really reserved for players who were six three six four. Um, I was really thin. I had to put on some weight, and and I learned very quickly with like Daryl Hammond and Ray Savage and and some of these other guys. I mean, it it was a man's game even in college, and uh, <laughs> so it, it was it was a a process that I went through, and all players do that. I think the schools are able to recognize that early. Uh, before the kids arrive are the ones that are successful in helping them kind of nurture their career to becoming whatever their talent is supposed to be. Now, Herman, I, I know you're probably don't listen to our podcast every week, but I am, does. Uh, come on now. Herman listens <laughs> yeah. to us. Yeah, don't, don't do that to him. Don't put, don't, hey, I got, don't my, put I got my alarm set to it. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you. There you we, go. We appreciate you. That's an endorsement yeah. right I, there. I like it. <laughs> I, I am not only the fan on the podcast. I'm also the old head, right? I'm pushing 50 now. Um, so you were you and Sean and Chris and Terry, you guys were like the first superstars I saw as a Virginia fan. Like I started coming, my first Virginia game was 83. So, um, you know, I got to go to games as, as you guys kind of built the program, you know, and obviously, you know, Coach Welsh as well. So what I'm interested, like when you got there, Virginia football was just starting to become a thing. They had won their first bowl game by the time they recruited you. Um, but just being there as that program built and being such a key piece to it, um, I mean, 
just I'm trying to understand at, at, at that point as a as a high school player and a college player, like how much different was Virginia when you got there, when you started hearing from them than when you left and looked back? Virginia wasn't really considered, you know, during the time when I originally arrived, they weren't considered any any from by any standard a powerhouse school mm-hmm. for football. Uh, yeah. they, there was very little recognition other than you you had some players who had been through there or currently were part of the team. Uh, Don Mikowski, you heard about Barry Word, um, and then Scott Sequels and and guys like that. So you, you had some names, you had some players who were recognized because they were par- part of really good schools and uh, from high school. And they had a bigger recognition and name recognition there than through, you know, on the collegiate level in the ACC. It, it wasn't until, and you had mentioned the bowl games, Virginia, I think it just came from the Peach Bowl. Um, yeah, 84 of the Peach Bowl, yeah. Yep. yep, and then the next one we went to was the All-American Bowl, which yes. was my red shirt freshman year. We were playing BYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did well. We ended up winning that game. And I remember that we started to see a change in the mentality and the attitude of, of Virginia football. Uh, recruiting started, you start to see some really top talent around the state, not in, in ones or twos, but you started seeing a group of guys come in that were making immediate impact. Uh, then you put us together for two, three, four years, and some that stayed back and held on their graduate year and came back as um, uh, grad students, we started to put together a very solid, robust, leader-driven football team that was under the discipline of a guy by the name of George Welsh. And he brought in the right staff. And before you know it, there was swagger. There was confidence. Uh, we were more than just uh, athletes who were smart. <laughs> not all of us. I'm not going to sit there and just give you a blanket uh, piece. But for the most part, I think if you balance out the average of some of us that had to carry the others, uh, we, we, uh, we, were, we were a very solid group that recognized that we could compete on a national level. And that's where you start to see the evolution of the mindset and really the competitiveness of Virginia football. And the expectation grew from just being a school that was prestigious and all about the academics and the turnout post your 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 stint there. It became more of you could be a, a part of a, a tremendous athletic program. Soccer was big. You know, you had Bruce Arena, you had our soccer team that was number one. Uh, you start to see the basketball, the girls' basketball. I mean, we start to get some recognition across the board. So football typically is a program that is the anchor and drives a lot of schools. Uh, mm-hmm. Virginia football stepped up, and we were excited to to play with guys we had competed against in, in high school to all of a sudden now we're teammates, and we felt that we owned the state. Yeah, I mean, it was – I mean, I wish I could go back and, like, live that again, being that young and just watching you guys – do things like, I mean, I think today's generation doesn't understand college football, even the better teams, it was hard to watch them if you didn't live in their area back then, right? So right. I was coming to UVA games consistently and got to see you and Terry and you know, Nikki Fisher and Sean do things I hadn't seen anyone do in person before. Um, and looking back on it after you guys left and realizing like, you know, obviously you're, you're around Coach Welsh a lot more than I ever was. Um, just how he's known to be a conservative coach, but what you guys did with that offense still like makes me laugh to this day, how good it was. I'm not kidding. To this day, if Virginia has the ball on the 40 plus, um, 
I'm calling for a play action hitch and go because that's what I grew up watching you guys do. Um, and you know, playing, playing on the, on the AstroTurf. So, I mean, what's your favorite mem memory of being at Virginia? Wow. I mean, you had that's some a, stats, a, so I'm sure you got some good catches. I'm like, that's, that's a loaded, <laughs> that's a loaded one. You know, I, the, the things that I have to go back, there are really memories of, you always look at that pivotal moment. You look at the moment where you're at a crossroad and there's decisions that have to be made by you. And there's decisions that others have to make on your behalf that give you the opportunity uh, or whether or not you, you, you're deserving of it. And one that sticks out was when Tim Finkelston ended up getting injured against Penn State. We were at home in uh, Scott Stadium. And I was called to go in and, you know, my eyes got really big because here's a guy <laughs> that I looked at, even though he was a smaller receiver, he, he wasn't what you would look at as being a, a, a prototypical wide receiver. And it was kind of what you've seen at Virginia sports, but he had guts, he had heart, he had really good route running ability. He wasn't a burner, uh, but here's a six, four big guy goes in and, and I ended up doing really, really well personally against Penn state, but for the coaches that have confidence, they could have gone to a different player. Uh, an upperclassman. They could have gone to a Derek Boyd. They could have gone to someone else who had more experience, but they chose to put me in and going in and really after the first hit or two, feeling like I really had arrived and belong uh, was amazing. And that was a time where I look at a decision a coaching staff made that turned out to be one that impacted my career. I look at the, the ability of the taking advantage of the opportunity that was given to me and going in and, and being able to show that that is something I was willing to meet the challenge for. Those are the moments that you reflect back on. And when we talked earlier in the show, we talked about the Hall of Fame. It is, you can't remove even single moments like that without getting to your destination. You may still arrive, but a lot of dynamics may change along the way. Um, so I, I am always just feeling blessed and I am appreciative of all those moments. So when I try and parse it out and say, it's just this one particular one, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I, the, the fun things I look at, <laughs> to be honest with you, are just the, the fun moments from practice itself. The games were the games. I mean, you're so focused. You're so, you're so, uh, uh, you know, looking at really what the objective is. You're not, you're not really thinking about what moment you're going to extract, but when we look at spring practice and we're on that hot turf over at Scott stadium and they have to wet it down because it's so hot, you know, you try and avoid getting turf burn. I mean, that's yeah. how bad it was. And then you see George Welsh up and down the sideline and he just looks, you would think we were at a, at like the college championship <laughs> game, the way he took practice. And, and that's the intensity and the consistency you had with him that just, it, it, trickled down to the entire team. So, I mean, it's, I just, I just love it. I I'm, I'm appreciative of, of the opportunity. I'm appreciative of the teammates and every moment that I was given to really be out there. And some people say that lightly, man, I don't say that lightly. I mean it. it, it it's, it's some of the best moments of my life. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned the hall of fame and you mentioned George Welsh, a hall of famer himself. Um, uh, I, 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 if I'm, if I'm right on this, Herman, you, I think it's safe to say that there were times where you and coach didn't always see eye to eye. You weren't always on the same page. Um, if I, if the stories I've heard are, are even remotely true. Um, yeah, just a little bit. 
just a little bit. Uh, but you know what? Coach had a way, I think, of of getting the best out of people and knowing um, how to do that and and what um, you know what each person needed. Um, that's that's one of the kind of universal truths I've heard about about him and 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 a lot of his players have said you know I've heard him say that similarly over the years. I'm just curious, man. Obviously, if if coach was still around. You know, he he obviously would be super excited to to hear this news and stuff. But I'm curious from your point of view, um, what it would what it, you know what that means to you. You know that that's a place where he is. You know, the, in that College Football Hall of Fame. Um, what 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 does that what does that feel like to you? The idea of being able to share that, you know, with him and maybe what he would, you know, what he would think uh, of you being there. You know the to be blessed with the opportunity to be nominated and to, to, to really have a, a shot here of getting in, I feel good about it. Uh, obviously that comes down to the voting process and all those things, but it, it tells me the distance that I've traveled. It, it tells me about the journey that I've been on and that I've gone through. And again, reminds me of the people who will impact you along the way that make those things possible. Cause we can't do it alone. We can't take these journeys and say, it's all because of me. It's that's how I arrived. Mm -hmm. There there's always going to be other ingredients. There's always other factors and opportunities and luck that takes place. A lot of people say it's skill over luck. No, it's a lot of it's luck uh, because it's, it's one injury. It's one bad injury on turf. We see that with young players. We saw, I've seen that with players who had vast potential that in, unfortunately got injured both at the collegiate and the professional level that I played with. But you know, one interesting thing you said when you mentioned about Coach Welsh that was exciting and that this is this is how the relationship is with a guy like Coach Welsh. You you felt important when he would hold a conversation with you because that's what you had to drive out of him. He was so focused on the task and he's so focused on making sure that it wasn't about the individual, it was about how does he lead from the top to help this entire team and his coaches. And when he, you earned a smile from George Welsh, it wasn't one that he just walks by and he smiles at you like, hey, how are you doing today? When he smiled at you, you that was one of the most rewarding things you would have probably received that season. And when he comes over and he high fives you after you come off of a, the field and you make a play and you see, uh, he doesn't have the excitement, but it's just a gesture of him slapping your hand back. Uh, it, it was that he was that type of person. And that sounds like, gosh, he didn't really give you much. But if you knew what, who he was and what it meant to extract that out of him, and not that that's a bad thing, but it's because of just the, the, the passion he had for the game and for the players and the team and his desire to just not just win, but make us winners as individuals. Man, you can't say enough about him. I really, really can't. And we we had some struggles at in the beginning. He kicked me out of practice a couple of times. He, he actually kicked me off the team <laughs> once <laughs> uh, for, 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 for a few hours until I, I manned up and came back and apologized because I was, I was being a, you know, a jerk. And, and I, I look at that and um, I did have my run-ins, but you know what? George Welsh was consistent as they come. And because of that, he, he made us men of character and, um, and to this day, again, a, a lot, I, I learned so much from the school and from the people I was around. Yeah. Consistency, I guess, is, is key, right? Like for, you know, whether you're talking about coaches and their relationships with players, players and their work ethic, 
right? Getting in the in in the into the lab as the kids say today. Um, speaking of consistency in general, um, I'm curious to get your point of view, having played the game the way you did both at the college and pro level, and then to see the way that it's changed. You know, in the time since you've been retired, and the time. You know, in just in the you know the last few years, even um, it, it feels like in a lot of ways offenses have just exploded, right? Especially when it comes to you know making plays down the field, making plays in the air. Um, you know, passing offenses are so much more intricate now than they than at least than it feels at least like than it used to be. Um, as you watch the game and as you've seen it grow and, and change and evolve over the years. What stands out to you about the differences between when you played and maybe now? You know, I watch a guy like Lavelle Davis last year, and and Herman, you might not be. Well, actually, you might be because you say you listen to the podcast. But I was yeah. I was one of the few at the beginning of the season last year who said, "Look, y'all need to watch out for this kid," um, because when I talked to him as a recruit, he said, "Look, they just need guys to go up and get it," and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. Um, and it's exactly what he did last year. When you watch, you know, guys with link, guys with size, you know. Go up and get balls. When you watch offenses now, what stands out to you about those guys and the way things have changed for the offenses since your playing days uh, ended? The, the one thing, a few things that have changed that kind of jump out at me. One is just the commitment to the run game to where it, it was more, we didn't expect, other than Terry Kirby, you know, Nicky Fisher was really a guy, he and Marcus, um, that we would have as more uh, running backs, you know, Derwin Griggs, you had your fullback. Now it's really about that extension of the passing game. You want your running back to somehow be involved with that. I looked at the kids from North Carolina this year and they had the one, two punch. And I haven't seen teams really utilize their running backs as much as those, those guys did and having that type of combination. But it's really, it is about the spread offense. It is about the, 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 the run pass option. It's it's about the whether or not the now the the quarterback is truly a viable element inside of the attack, whether it's going out to the edge beyond the tight end and the tackle, to whether or not they're in play action or just you know taking a pass and throwing it down the field as just a, a traditional quarterback. The receivers have just really become you have to create, it's always been about matchup problems. And then you always try and figure out how to get receivers matched up people kind of tended to, to stray away from the big receiver uh, or convert them into tight ends. We had Eric Mundy, we had Bruce McGonigal, and I was roughly about their size. They were a little bit heavier than I was, but we were about the same size, but I, I had the flexibility to move across the, the, the board. So I could play slot. I could play outside. I could play X, Y, you know, Z, whatever, and wing. When I look at a guy like Lavelle Davis, and I look at, uh, you know, you start talking about the the size of the receivers, uh, even that Virginia has on its roster. They have matchup guys. They have people that you know are going to be in the slot. You got a guy like Davis that's going to be a beast on the outside prior to him getting injured. Um, depending on how that works out and he comes back, I know he was injured also in high school at one point, uh, came back from that. So we know that, that that's in his path. The, everything's changed to really focus on the offenses being explosive. Um, defenses are, I won't say hamstrung, but they just don't get to be as aggressive. Even on a collegiate level, I thought it was just a professional level with all the targeting and all that stuff. But you see that call quite a bit. And the aggressive style is just not there as it used to be. Uh, but the players are bigger, faster, more physical, stronger, athletic. 
Uh, I'll give them that. I think some of it is just the technology of the uniforms and the fact mm-hmm. they get to play on anything other than a carpet laid down on the street. But <laughs> uh, like we did, but you know, it's, it has changed. The sport has changed uh, in a good way, in some sense, in bad ways. I, I don't think the technique is as good sometimes. Um, it, it seems I, I work with the professional side of uh, the teams and there seems to be a little bit more work sometimes to undo some of the things they were able to get away with in college that you is unforgiving in the profession at the professional level. Mm. Yeah. Herman, you, you know, obviously when you look back at the stats you were able to put up between UVA and uh, with the lions, um, I mean, it's still mind boggling to me. I think you're still like the top eight for the most receptions in, in a season back at a time when they weren't throwing the ball 50 times a game and you had a pretty decent running back in Detroit. Um, <laughs> who got a few carries a game? Um, I can't remember his name though. Yeah, I can't remember either. his name. I, I don't know I didn't who that write dude it was. Down in my notes, <laughs> but, <laughs> I feel like I pl- I feel like I played with him on a video game one time, and you could really yeah, mess remember, people up. Remember, was it like twenty eight or something? Twenty seven? <laughs> yeah. like uh, he was short. Uh, they said he's yeah. fast, but um, but yeah, I, it no, was a rumor I, out there that he won the Heisman Trophy too. But I don't know. <laughs> I never, I've never seen it. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, I mean watching you guys play on that turf like oh good gracious you, i i didn't really think about it until you mentioned it tonight like how many games you played on turf in your career man <laughs> Too and, many. yeah and not to get off topic but the i remember as a kid when i finally got to walk on the scott stadium turf for the first time you know prior to all the expansion and putting in grass my first words to my dad when i walked on that grass on the turf were like how do they play football on this <laughs> it was right. so hard um and i imagine the metrodome turf wasn't much better no, it's a it's a tough surface. Uh, I think the reason why I excelled on turf wasn't the fact that, it, you know, you had better grip and all that. I just didn't want to hit the ground. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you said the thing I about turf earlier, I, mean, I thought, you know, was a <laughs> that's a good incentive, right? It's like, well, actually, it hurts when I'm going down. So I need to keep myself up all the time. That's great. I was the only person, I think, that wore long sleeves, 90 degrees on indoor turf surfaces all the time. <laughs> Cause I just, you know, I didn't want to mess up my, my nice arms, man, because I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I was going with that question. I was, was had a bunch of facts that popped in my head, but um, I mean, now that you know, when, when you got to the lions, um, not, not to go back and forth in your discussion of your career here, but when you got to the NFL from, from UVA, um, how much of an adjustment was it for you? I know we've talked to other players about this, but, you know, this, like Brad was saying, this is a time when, when the uh, running back still ruled the day, right? Um, the passing was third down if you had to sometimes. Um, and in your offense kind of changed that much, you know, and if you listen to pundits back then, they're like, give it to Barry more. And Barry was like, no, throw it more so I can get more lanes. Um, but what was the, the switch like back then um, jumping to the pros? The first one was just the fact that it became your job. Uh, in the morning, it wasn't about going to school and studying. Uh, it was a different study. You had to go, you had to report, uh, you, you had to weigh in. You had certain things from a physical and mental component that you had to make sure you passed those tests. Um, and then the rest of it was really exercising your brain on strategy, uh, looking at your opponent. Uh, gosh. You know, and you got practice. You you go out for your your walkthrough. You come out. You do your 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 um, team practices and your individual skill sets and all that. 
then afterwards it's back to film again. And then you, you basically go home and you rinse and repeat. The, the other one was the fact that you were on an island. Even though you were within a team concept, there's someone trying to literally take your job for a living. Yep. That's, that's the way they survive. It, yeah. it wasn't about we had so many scholarships, you're secure as long as you go in and you pass your grades. You had to earn and keep your spot back then because there were no guarantee contracts. It was almost, it was weekly. It was, it was game by game uh, because there wasn't a long-term commitment and dollars thrown at you that, that secured you and any inconsistencies you, you would have. So I would argue mentally it was tougher back then to really play and be able to set aside the, the, the personal feelings. I mean, you had to kind of take whatever was there, both the, from an organizational standpoint to whether or not you like your coach, um, there were no social media channels to go through and build an army of people that could pit you against them or any of that stuff. It was really focused on just being there and getting the job done. Uh, the other thing is from the physical and the mental standpoint, uh, you, you, you come in, you're, you're a boy among men, uh, truly and literally, <laughs> yeah. uh, that uh, are down certain paths of their life, their career. And depending on who they are, they have time or they don't have time. Even though they're your teammates, they expect you to come in ready to go. And unfortunately, I found out very early in my career, it doesn't quite work that way. I came in as an All-American, consensus All-American, finished high in the Heisman Trophy uh, voting. But when you go there, you're not as you're not you know, no better most time than the scout team person or maybe the guy that's a backup already. And you basically are from that point on, you're earning up. You have to earn your way up in those positions. Yeah, you may get there because you're a first round pick. But that, as we've seen with a lot of players, even Heisman Trophy players, they crash and they burn. You got guys who are being paid millions of dollars that just left and walked away from the game because it was too hard. They couldn't deal with the mental and the physical uh, piece that's there. So there's a lot that goes on at that level that is beyond before you even get out to the football field itself. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that I think gets overlooked a lot of times. Yeah. Do you still give Sean a hard time about stealing the husband from you? Because if you got his votes. But you got to remember, we were on a shoestring budget back then. We didn't have the dollars they had these days. So they had to just pick one guy. And, you know, the, the, the safe bet was always pick your quarterback. Yeah, uh, but I, I think if I'd had some marketing dollars or at least social channels <laughs> existing back then, my personality and character would have gotten me over the hump. I think a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, Herman, I have this idea of you thinking about UVA having, you know, watching like UVA's like Twitter account, right? Like the UVA football Twitter account and the videos that they put out now. And you think, man, if I could have gotten like a little bit of that, just a little bit, just a little bit, you know, might have might have might have moved the needle a little bit. Um, just a little of, bit. Just a little bit. Uh, speaking of the of of kind of the the current, uh, I'm just curious from a from a former player standpoint, from an alumni standpoint, watching Bronco Mendenhall and his folks build what they've built um, the last few years and and the success that they've had and kind of the the way that they've sort of built it back up. Kind of in that you know Bronco even talked about because I'm pretty sure George was actually at that first press conference when they introduced Bronco. You know that he felt sort of a kinship with him in in the sense that both of them were in that kind of old school. Um, um, kind of that old school frame of mind, right? They are, you know, kind of like-minded in a lot of ways. I'm just curious to get your 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 viewpoint on on the the way the program has has gone in recent years, and and what you think of uh, of what you've seen so far from Bronco and his folks. The program's gone through quite a bit since uh, Coach Welsh retired mm -hmm. and turned over the reins to a few others, you know, that have come through there from Grove to London. 
Uh, and then with Coach Mendinghall, uh, the, the thing that has kind of stuck is that he came in and I don't think he tried to bring a, um, a way of preserving anything that was there previous to him arriving. He came in and decided there was a, a system and a methodology that he was going to basically sink or swim with. It was going to be tough to, to buy in uh, because it was drastically different than what traditionally any program had seen other than the one he brought from mm -hmm. the, the Midwest. But ultimately, um, he, he was able to pull it off and make it work to where it became attractive. I think it helps that you have a, a school like the University of Virginia where you know it's going to extend beyond just sports. There's also the education component. And then you look at that coupled with the fact that it gets missed that from an athlete, from a, a, an athletic program, the University of Virginia ranks among the top in the nation when you talk about championships. And uh, I think it was the Capital One Cup or whatever it is it's called that you get for the best athletic school or program, you know, programs across uh, the, the NCAA. And UVA's won that a few times. Um, the, the drastic difference I see between a guy like Coach Hall is that they are able to leverage what didn't exist back then. And that is the influence piece. That is the social channel. That is the storytelling piece of what it means to be a part of Virginia football beyond just the field. He talks about the narrative that I think helps him get support from families uh, about what type of people he's building, not just what type of athletes. And when you combine those and you do that in a, a structured way, it leads down a path that others have to either meet or exceed. Uh, but when you can combine that with the quality of people you're gonna pull out, but also you're building a program or have shown over the years a consistency in a program being able to be part of bowl games or be part of opportunities to compete in the ACC, it becomes a, a pretty good proposition to a recruit that's coming out. And when you start landing three to five star recruits, uh, now you know your program is going to start to compete uh, beyond just the words. It starts to compete on the field. And I think that's still something they're lagging. There's a, there's a little bit of a, a lag that's taking place there that needs to be picked up. But I know that between Coach Manning Hall and working also with the athletic director, Carla Williams, uh, they're, they're bringing back people like Sean Moore. They're moving guys like Jerry Capone into areas where they know they can make an impact. And then they're continuing to go down the path to try and lure in that talent. Good deal. Now, last thing for you. Um, I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm curious as somebody who, who is in – uh, content creation, right? It's my job, right? Is to come up with things that people want to pay attention to and read and listen to and whatnot. Um, is I, I noticed that you you've got the the YouTube channel, right? You've got the 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 YouTube thing, and I'm curious how you got into that and and how that's gone for you. You know, as you've kind of you know, as, in terms of your you, you know, all players kind of struggle, right? With with like what's next for them, you know, sort of after. And I remember Chris told us something about. You know, I think it was Coach Grow who basically told them, like, you got to find something and understand that it's never going to replace what you felt when you were on the field. But you got to find something to really focus your attention on. For you, uh, I'm just curious about with the YouTube channel specifically. How how did that kind of come about? Uh, how long have you been doing it? What's what's how 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 much fun has that been for you so far? Well, it's it's good. It kind of blends right into what I do, and I've been doing now for believe it or not over 20 years, and that's very entrepreneurial. Um, we are a business that prides itself on 
development and also solutions uh, in various industries. And this is one that I'm passionate about because communications was my background from and my, my degree from the University of Virginia. But I've done over the last 20 plus years, I've done media. I've worked with all the networks, all the large networks. Uh, I've done podcasts, I've done uh, blogs and all the other things. And now that I have more time that our businesses are just really thriving, it allows me to work with, uh, I mentioned before, um, young lady, uh, Chrissy Zavakar, who's our head of uh, communications and marketing. She came over from the Detroit Lions after she also still runs her own business, but she came over to kind of manage that part for us. But she was very fluid in that because she managed all the content for the Lions. And working with a former teammate, Lomas Brown, we came up with a show called Breaking Bread with Herman and Lomas. And it allows us to bring out our, our personality, allows us to touch on t tons of topics. Of course, everyone wants to hear about the Lions. They want to hear about football, but bring in the lifestyle piece and bring in other elements of fun. And then even having individuals like yourselves come on our show and just talk about whatever we want to talk about. If it's sports, it's sports. If it's about going down memory lane, it's going down memory lane. But it's a channel that's really dedicated for the fans and for us to give a greater insight, not just to the X's and O's, but to anything they like to talk about uh, as it relates to life. Good deal. Well, Herman, I very much appreciate you being willing to come on our podcast. Uh, you know, I'm obviously you're, you're a busy man and got lots of irons in the fire, especially these days with, uh, you know, with the, the Hall of Fame ballot and everything. But appreciate your time, sir. Uh, thank you very much for, for giving us a, a, a little bit of your afternoon. And um, hopefully we will talk to you down the road. I appreciate it. Look forward to hopefully speaking to you during the season. Again, I want to thank uh, Herman uh, and certainly to Chrissy too for for setting it all up. Um, Herman for coming on the show and um, sharing a lot of you know insight into you know his his playing days. Um, you know, kind of his 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 view and his perspective on on football, on life after football. Um, I thought it was really interesting to hear him talk about Coach Welsh. Um, because I know the two of them, you know, and it sometimes happens, right, with players and coaches. It's not always, you know, it's not always rainbows and monkeys dancing with toothbrushes. Sometimes it's tough. And clearly those two, you know, didn't always see eye to eye, but they all they found their way. And I loved what he talked about with Coach Welsh sort of, you know, figuring out not just not just in terms of like the intensity of 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 how much he cared about football, but the way that he also allowed guys to see the other side of him you know like you know Herman admits he you know he he got whatever that day and had to go what he say he was being a jerk and he went back and apologized and and coach Welsh accepted that yeah. apology you know he didn't he didn't grandstand just because he could he understood that like hey it took a lot for this kid to come back and apologize and make this right so let's let's move forward together I think that's really um that's a good lesson I feel like for for not just for players and and for you know, coaches these days, but for humans, you know, like he was somebody who, I mean, like, look, as much as you'd love if you're, if you're George Welsh to have a Herman Moore, right. If, if you think that, a, that the guy is going to cause you headaches in the locker room, you know, what are you supposed to do? I think the fact that he put himself out there for the kid and accepted that apology, um, I think that speaks volumes sort of about just humanity and, and the way, the way that sometimes, we all we get a little bit we get a little bit lost in things, you know what I mean? Like I just I thought that stuff was super compelling. What did you think of the of the of the things he had to say, Dave? Well, first off, like it, the interesting thing with Coach Welsh is if you've ever heard a star talk about Coach Welsh, they all had a run in with him. That's like, true. So he's That's just true. he's he's literally like I mean, obviously 
he's just trying to keep their feet on the ground and, you know, and, um, you know, and you know, be a good coach to those guys and not treat them any differently than, than the regular guy on the team. So, um, if I was on the team, he probably wouldn't have a problem with me. He wouldn't know who I was anyway. Um, you know, the, look, the, the, I love the interview. I literally had like 42 games I wanted to ask him, but I wasn't going to keep him all afternoon and be like, remember that time at Penn state when he scored two touchdowns in the first half? Yeah. Cause he, he did mention playing at Penn state against Penn state in the 88. I think it was uh, when he got in the game after uh, McGonagall got, uh, sorry, it wasn't McGonagall. I can't remember the guy's name now. Anyway, that game in 88 Finkelstein. Yeah. Uh, they lost in 88 in Scott stadium and they went up there in 89. Um, I believe it was early September. Um, and Herman had two touchdowns in the first half and Virginia won in, in happy Valley. Um, so anyway, I had like 50 of those I could have asked him about. So it was just a joy to have him on the podcast. He's undoubtedly like one of my top two, if not number one player, um, just because of seeing what that dude did the defensive backs in person at a time when you couldn't go on YouTube and watch it. Like I promise you a little 15 year old boy, you know, 15 year old boy from Dinwiddie County hadn't seen anybody do that before. Um, and he was doing it to the you know, nationally ranked de- defensive backs. All right, Dave, I wanna, I'm curious, all right, in the pantheon of things that you wanted to do with this podcast, where does Talk to Herman Moore rank on the list? Is it the number one? Is it right there at the top? I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I it's pretty I mean, good. Coach Welsh would have been number one. No offense <laughs> oh, to Herman. Coach true. Welsh would have been number yeah. one. Um, Tony would have been number two. Okay, whoa, probably, whoa, whoa. We, we would have. Wait a minute. Wait, we, we, that's, that's still on the table. Tony, we can still yeah, talk yeah. to Tony. Yeah, but I mean, I've talked to Tony in person. That, that oh, Trump support. Yeah, don't don't, don't <laughs> yeah. do that. He, he told I'm sure me he remembers the five hey, minutes with he, me. He told he 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 knows my kid's name. All right, that's all you need to know. Right. All right, he knows my kid. Yeah, he no. He like he did the bull thing with his lips to to my daughter. So what did what you got? <laughs> <laughs> he hey he told me he live a, during a press conference one time that he liked my glasses. Oh yeah, yeah. which is really funny so, because like no, I Harmon's up there. I had, uh, no, I, I, had I, I, I had no reason to 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 ever think Tony Bennett would comment on my glasses in a press conference. Just saying. Go ahead. I mean, I say that, like, look, my my heroes on that Virginia team growing up, obviously, you know, a lot of team, a lot of a lot of people we're kind of in the social circle, social media circles with, kind of got into Virginia football in the mid to late '90s, right? Um, so for you know the Tiki's and Ronde and all those guys, but to me it was, um, I mean, I love those guys too, but. Don't get me wrong. The guys that got me hooked were Sean Moore, Terry Kirby, Nikki Fisher, um, Chris Slade, Ray Savage, Herman Moore. Like those guys were the guys I grew up with. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I told you guys a story back in 95, not, not 95, 2005, um, when Virginia beat um, Florida State and Charlottesville. The night the lights went out at halftime mm-hmm. for like 30 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, that game, I ended up in a section sitting. I was sitting behind Terry and Sean, uh, Chris Slade and Sean Moore, and they invited me to sit with them to talk about the game because I, because a friend of mine told him how big of a fan it was and she knew him. So I got that entire extra time the lights were out were just us talking. They, those lights could have stayed off all night. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if Herman had been there, I could have died that night. <laughs> Dude, that's pretty great. Um, yeah. Well, we're, we're glad that you didn't. We're glad that you yeah, didn't. Me um, real quick, I want to. Um, I want to just say real quick, because um, I, I, it, it just feels wrong to me to have a podcast, regardless of the the, the guests we had lined up, to, to not at least for a minute talk about 
what Virginia did in Columbia and setting up, you know, going back to Columbia. Um, folks can check it out on the website. Damon wrote a really interesting story about um, kind of like the, the, the mindset that they've had for the last couple months. And, and this is something he actually talked about on the pod a few weeks ago, right? The idea that like they've basically been in, you know, elimination situations for months, right? Like they have, this is, you know, they did it to themselves, but that's where they were. And then that's one of the similarities with that 2015 team. And, you know, kind of, you kind of get used to having your back against the wall and you don't, you don't panic when, you know, a, a guy hits a home run, you know, in late in the game and you feel like you're down you don't panic when a guy makes an error and, you know, they score, um, you're able to kind of keep grinding. Um, I, I, I gotta say that, that home run that Ortiz hit, um, the walk off was, I mean, one, it was a no doubter right off the bat. Right. But two, um, just one of the most fun moments, um, you know, in a long time for Virginia sports, you know, you think about, you know, the, the fun that was 2019, right. Between the championship and then beating tech in the fall. Um, I, I can't think of other than maybe, I mean, even Reese's three pointer in, in the ACC tournament was just so immediately, you know, um, washed out by what happened in the next 24 hours, you know, with the, with the COVID positive test and them having to leave and everything. Um, but Dave, in general, you, you're a baseball guy, you, you know, you're surrounded by bats right now, I'm sure. Um, what's, uh, what do you think of this, this, this club and, and how do you feel about them going into super regionals? I mean, it's been a pretty remarkable run. I mean, Damon, look, Damon's talked about it a lot more eloquently than I can, but I mean, what they've done since that start in ACC play to get where they are now, they've essentially been playing elimination baseball for two and a half, three months. Um, and to have what appears that, you know, it's just externally looking at them, but that the, the apparent joy they still have after all that grind. Um, and then compound, you know, that was kind of all brought to a head with what we saw in Columbia, you know, um, when Dame was on the last podcast, you know, you know, I think you talked about specifically like the way you want to win a regional is to win game one. Right. And what they do go lose game one. <laughs> so they had to go the hardest route possible. <laughs> I mean, they right. lost the game. Andrew Abbott started, right? Like the guy yeah, you were did. counting on to get you the win. Um, and then, you know, when they had that good start from McGarry the other night, you know, he got a blister on his finger. So he had to go into the bullpen. It was already depleted. Um, and they kept finding a way, um, you know, between, you know, the, the dugout and the dipping dots, like, <laughs> I mean, uh, the bullpen and the dipping dots, like it's been a, a whole fun weekend um, that extended to Tuesday morning. And that game itself was like four hours long. So it's just, you know, it's a great run. Like I, I can't go so far as like, it's great to see it as a Virginia fan. Cause we've been pretty sport over the last few years, but look, it's great to see it as a Virginia fan. Um, yeah. It, it was fun to watch and, you know, just getting into the, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of that game, like, you know, Shock had pretty much pitched what three and a half, three and a third innings at that point after pitching two and a third, two nights or the day and a half before. Um, and you could, you know, he clearly wasn't coming back in if the game went to the top of the 11th. So thank God Ortiz like made it not an issue, but I mean, college baseball is, I think college baseball is a weird sport. I don't think it gets enough publicity for how good it can be probably just because it, you know, it starts during basketball season. Everyone's kind of, you go straight from football to basketball. I yeah. think everyone gets a little burnout. And um, then also, but you, yeah, the regionals you end are so when people fun. Are, and you and you sort of end when people are like 
you know, schools ending and folks on vacations and stuff. So it makes sense. But yeah, it should be a really interesting weekend again, back down in Columbia, although I don't think the the baseball team actually left. I think they were going to stay there. Yeah, I was going to ask if you knew if they came back or not. No, I mean, that's all Damon, man. That's all Damon. Dude's been crushing it. Um, But anyway, I think that's a a good place to put a pin in it for this week. Obviously, like I said, we had a um, a, a big guest lined up and um, that's just, you know, sometimes the way the cookie crumbles. Um, but I do want to thank again, Herman Moore for, for being so gracious with his time and, and coming on the show and, um, talking about, you know, all the different, um, things and, and the ballot and everything, um, it was really, really good stuff. And, and certainly between, you know, getting Chris Long and now getting Herman Moore, I think, um, you know, I think the podcast is over guys. Goodbye. Um, no, I, I honestly, if we ever get Tony Bennett and we have like a long conversation with Tony Bennett, that's probably going to be it. Um, I don't, I can't think of any more UVA Mountain Rushmore guest that we that you know would would be up there but i'm sure we'll get into that someday um yeah, save that for another topic yeah, save that for, a long off for another day <laughs> if you are somebody who found the uh, podcast through the website thank you very much for giving us a listen and if you don't mind you can look us up on apple Podcasts, Stitcher, spotify overcast wherever it is that you get your programs um if you're so inclined you give us a rating review helps to get us out in front of more people now if you are somebody who's found the pod but you have not given us a look at the website yet you can check us out at castcorner.com i mentioned damon has been killing it I mean, they're just the stories are everywhere. Um, so, you, you, if you're if you're all interested in that UVA baseball team, he he's the one to follow. Um, no disrespect to anybody else in the beat, but um, I frankly think he's the best in the business when it comes to it. Um, we also obviously are in the midst of the a bananas, just bonkers June um, from on the recruiting front. Um, Virginia's picked up a pair of commitments in the last week. Um, one from uh, three-star quarterback Davis Lane down at Liberty Christian who has a fairly substantial offensive lineman that you may have heard about who's going to be taking an official visit to Virginia soon, so that's something to watch. And then also A.J. Holmes, who I talked to the other day, a three-star defensive lineman from Texas, um, really, really engaging kid who, who who told me that when he on his official visit last weekend, when he he uh, when Bronco let him ride the horse, he really wanted to open it up, but Bronco had rules, and so he had to um, he had to just keep it to a little bit of a trot. Um, spoiler alert: being a Texas kid, he was not afraid of the horse at all. Um, and then also, I caught up with uh, Demond Claiborne, who's a running back from King William, um, who's pretty much down to UVA and Wake, and it sounds like he's going to take a visit to Vandy. But I really Really good conversation with him, so you can check that out on the site as well. Um, I want to say thank you very much to MyPerfectFranchise.net. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. All right. So, again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave for giving graciously of his time as always. He should thank me, actually, this time. This was this is one of those things that you you didn't do this for me. I did this for you. Um, Thanks, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, I, I very much appreciate all that he does for the show. So for David Spence and I guess Herman Moore as well, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.